next chapter we will see how Jesus is doing he was a teenager who is slowly and gradually approaching manhood meanwhile in his school and in conversation Jesus heard more and more of the messiah who was to bring freedom to the people a prophet like unto me will the lord raise up to thee said the words in the scroll writers and harangers at the crossroads constantly assured the tax-ridden people that the long-awaited christ would soon be with them the most popular book at the time one that jesus often heard discussed was by an unknown author and was called the praising of enoch it sympathized the old promises of deliverance more than once jesus was to mention the book as he preached through palestine this and the prophetic book of daniel were the best sellers of his boyhood Everywhere men were quoting from the prophets to anticipate just how the son of god would come to earth there will be a great star in the heavens to announce his birth said one he will be born into the line of the house of david in bethlehem but he will live in galilee said another naturally Joseph and Mary had told Jesus of the three wise men who brought him gifts and said that they had seen his star in the east and had come to worship him. Also, he knew that he had been born in Bethlehem and that Joseph and Mary were both of the princely house of David. But very early in life Jesus learned what the people were expecting from their messiah and he knew that they were wrong there was coming to them no savior with supernatural genius for war and government no messiah was to lead them in revolution free them and make them in turn masters of the whole world God would not send his messenger to earth merely to rally the glory of David and Solomon. It was in vain that the people waited for such a messiah, a trinity of patriot, general, and king. Already more than one man had falsely proclaimed himself as the expected messiah. Jesus heard much talk of one called Thaddeus. The Jews demanded a sign from the pretender so he boldly led them up to the mount of olives and commanded the walls of Jerusalem to fall down but the walls did not fall down when the walls stood firm Thaddeus was left alone exposed as a pretender to be the messiah such adventures merely emphasized the people's need for a real leader There was a slow ferment in every heart, a turbulence, an anguish that threatened to turn into mass hysteria and that would be restrained by Roman spears, spears. Such was the state of the world of the Roman Empire, Judea, Nazareth, when Mary and Joseph decided to take the 12-year-old boy on a visit to Jerusalem for the Passover. 
Jesus was now twelve years old and old enough to, to make the long journey to Jerusalem. Year after year, the family made this journey, but this was the first time that they would take Jesus with them. In Jerusalem, again, Mary's growing boy looked around him, fascinated by the splendor and the squalor of palaces and slums, the penury in the midst of magnificence, and especially the beauties of the temple with its walls of cedar and marble. As he walked with Mary and Joseph through the gate that was called Beautiful, Jesus carried a few coins that his foster father had given him. Mites and pennies knotted in the hem of his robe. With these copper pieces, the boy paid his own way into the temple courts. That was when Joseph explained to him about money in the temple. Because Judea was a prisoner state and occupied by legions of the imperial Roman army, only empire money Coins bearing the head and sign of Caesar could be used for buying and selling. But the older Jewish coins, by special concession, would be and must be used within the area of the temple. When one came to the ancient promontory to worship God, one carried with him the coinage of Rome, but while one was still on the outer area of the Gentiles, the forecourt outside the sacred precincts, one must make an exchange of that silver into Jewish money. And, the gentle Joseph added sadly, a man invariably loses money on the transaction. For this Roman piece, he gets less than half in the people's own money because he has to pay the agio, the premium for changing cash, that is how the money changers around the temple get rich, men like Annas and his friends. But why did anyone need money for obligations in the home of God, thought Jesus? Why? For to buy sacrifices? One had to pay for doves and lambs for burnt offerings on the altar. And for these little birds and beasts, one was charged five times what they were worth. The profit of that also went to Annas and his friends, the high priest and his friends. So it seemed that even though Annas was the high priest, the priest of the Israelites, who was supposed to be morally upright, he was actually very corrupt, and he loved power. On learning this, the boy Jesus became very pensive. And what thoughtful mind could fail to remember that this city of dreadful contrasts in human existence was the birthplace of Jeremiah, that great prophet to whom the boy felt so close, that singer and saint who could look into the wrongs of the state and then lift his gaze straight into heaven. And Jesus could remember also the persisting legend that Jeremiah, having been proved right to the people he tried to save, was exiled into Egypt to die a martyr. The world has a way of punishing its friends, he thought. 
By this time, Jesus and his father had crossed the outer court, and still the boy was remembering too that Isaiah the prophet had also once walked these streets, telling the people, Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Toward the northwest corner of the court, there was the terrace, divided into three parts or elevations, one for his mother and the other women, another for the men and the boys like Joseph and himself, and, closest of all to the sanctuary, a court for the priests. That was where, thirteen years before, Zachary, now dead, had been stricken dumb. The boy Jesus counted the twelve steps down which the dumbfounded old priest had fled and admired the gilded doorway and hanging on its gilt rod, the veil of the temple, a many-colored curtain woven in Babylon during the captivity. Gold spikes on the flat roof reflected the glitter of the sunset, and just over the doorway was a gleaming bunch of golden grapes. Wherever Jesus looked, there were priests. Priests. On that very day, 20,000 of priests were registered in the temple and got their living from it. The place swarmed with men in ceremonial costume. Levites with pointed caps and large pockets in which they carried the books of the law. Pharisees with their broad phylacteries and deep white fringes on purple gowns. Solemn essences in white robes and with them from Galilee and Judea and the land beyond Jordan. Crowds of earnest believers who came to buy lambs or pigeons and lay them on the altar to be burned. Women after childbirth, sick people after recovery, grateful men and women and those who hoped soon to have cause to be grateful. Jewish Parthians and Medes with close-cropped beards, Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Cappadocia, Israelites from Egypt and Libya and Rome, uncounted hundreds and thousands of them. There were so many people. Bargains were being struck, greetings exchanged, palms, psalms sung, genuflections all day long, the smell of burning flesh, the smoke of incense. Jesus was gripped with the spectacle of color and noise and movement. The voice of the temple choir, the sounding trumpets, and the music of the sweet-stringed harps of old King David softened the intensity of his dark eyes. He watched the people kneel and worship and heard the phrases of the priests and intoned responses of the congregation. Presently, there was in all their hearts a mystical sense of communion as they sang the 66th Psalm. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth hath spoken when I was in trouble. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me.
But why did they burn the animals? Why did they imagine God would be pleased when altars bled and smoked? Thought Jesus. Why did the poor have to spend their money to buy animals? Why must they buy them only from the priests? What did the priests do with the money? Did not such absurdities detract from the dignity and goodness of the idea of God? What was it that Amos the prophet had said? I hate, I despise your feasts. I will take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Yea, though you offer me your burnt offerings and meal offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of your songs, and I will not hear the melody of vials. But let justice run down as water and righteousness as a mighty stream. So Jesus was busy thinking as he watched the things that went on around him. He realized that all those offerings and sacrifices were actually vain if there is no justice or righteousness. Righteousness and justice are more important than all the offerings and ceremonies and traditions. Let justice run down as water and righteousness as a mighty stream, he thought. Why had no one carried on the fight for the realities of religion that old Amos had begun years before, thought Jesus. Seized suddenly with a great warm rush of zeal and a search of such questions, Jesus stood up while Joseph remained praying with closed eyes. Burning with eagerness, the twelve-year-old strode into an offshoot shelter of the inner temple where the fathers of Israel sat with the rolls of scriptures around them and debated the texts of judges and prophets. A circle of admiring intellectuals were listening in awestruck silence. Into this ring of professors of the sacred teachings walked the boy from Galilee, and his tongue was on fire with the questions he now put to them. He seemed eager to learn from these sages, but they recoiled from his honest inquiries. Wherever such questions put to these brains before? Never, never. He was not there to higgle and dispute about trifling matters. The servants of the law listened first with scorn and irritation at the young boy, then with incredulity. How could this young boy know so much? How can he ask such questions? Then they were filled with astonishment. Then they became friendly, but with awakening alarm. Who was this radical child that dared to question and challenge the recondite technicalities and the established order of a thousand years? And why did he continually seek to bring these scholarly minds back to the troublesome problems of human behavior? Day and night came and the fifteen men still tried to answer the questions of this unknown stripling, this young twelve-year-old boy. 
new judges took the place of the weary elderly ones, and the debate went on with the unwearying lad. It was impossible by logic or tergiversation to dislodge him from the simplicity of his position. He merely kept reminding them of the beauty of their own neglected teachings, quoting every now and then from the magnificent simplicity of Micah, the prophet, when he demanded, What does Jehovah request of you but to do justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The new recruits to this famous debate had taken no note of the passing of time until Jesus, looking over the heads of his antagonists, saw the pale face of Mary. Tears glistened in her reproachful eyes. For the first and only time since he was born, she seemed not to comprehend. She seemed sad. She seemed worried. Son, why have you done so to us? Behold, your father and I have sought you, sorrowing. At once, Jesus made his farewell to the groggy teachers. Even the newest arrivals were worn out with the unwanted exercise he had given their brains. Around Mary's shoulders, he wrapped the cloak of deeper blue that she wore now, and took her hand and led her toward the gate. And as they walked together, she told him what had been happening while he was immersed in his first mental joust with order, custom, and the way people have always done things. It seemed that Mary and Joseph had started on the journey back to Nazareth, feeling sure that Jesus was following with a troop of other Nazareth boys. But when they began to search for him, Jesus was not to be found. That was why, as soon as the sun was up, Mary and Joseph turned their faces back towards Jerusalem. There at last, after weary search, they found him arguing the law with the elders. Looking into Mary's eyes, Jesus said with a tender smile, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did she not know? Why should he think she would know? And then Mary remembered that dark night when she had fled Nazareth, when the supernatural had awakened her. She could not call mother and father and hope for the comprehension of her incomprehensible experience. In the conception of this child, did you not know, mother? From that moment, it was Mary and Joseph who felt like children, and Jesus their instructor. But only for that moment. Then he was their boy again. With an impulsive gesture, he embraced his mother and kissed the grey and golden beard of Joseph. They had no further cause to worry. All the rest of his youth, Jesus obeyed them. Mary watched him grow into strong manhood, advancing in wisdom.